like to to stand as we read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read all of the chapter. It's the passage on love um, found in page 662 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know, for now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you that you have provided for us your spirit to comfort and to guide and to communicate to us just what it means to understand and be a part of, of a loving family. And thank you for helping us to understand the true meaning of love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today we, uh, we're continuing in our series we began last Sunday our summer series called Spirit Fruit, Becoming the Person God Wants You to Be. And what we're basically doing in this series is uh, learning to become the person God wants us to be by bearing the nine fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, and so if I can relate it to our purpose as a church, in fact, you'll, you notice it in the bulletin there, um, of know Christ, grow in Christ, show Christ, and... Uh, go with Christ. In relation to the spirit fruit, um, and especially all nine of them, basically what we want to do in becoming the people that God wants us to be, we need to know it, we want to grow it, and then we want to show it. And so we need to know the fruit of the spirit. We need to know what God says about it. And then of course we need the Holy Spirit's help. We need His power to grow it in our lives in order to show it in the world, to show it in our relationships with other people primarily. Uh, because what's interesting is all nine through the Spirit really impact our relationships with one another. 
And so we want to know it, we want to grow it, and then we want to show it. So this morning, again, uh, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and let's look at what the fruit of the Spirit are according to what Paul writes here. Look what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. So one of the things we want to do, we want to know all nine fruit of the Spirit. So one of the goals is for us by the end of the series is we can actually repeat the nine fruit of the Spirit. So I hope you'll make that your own personal goal to memorize the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them. This morning we're going to look at the Spirit fruit of love. Reminds me of the penis cartoon. How many like penis cartoons? Yes, great cartoons. And uh, I particularly I'm reminded of the penis cartoon that shows Lucy standing with her arms folded with this stern expression on her face. And Charlie Brown is pleading with her, Lucy, you must be more loving. This world really needs love. You have to let yourself love to make this world a better place. Well, Lucy just angrily whirls around knocks Charlie Brown to the ground, and then screams at him, Look, blockhead, the world I love. It's the people I can't stand. And I'm sure we all feel that way from time to time in our lives. And I'm sure some of us even feel that way most of the time, and I bet some of us feel that way right now. Loving the world in general isn't that difficult, is it? It's... Loving the people around us, in our homes, in our church, the people we work with, our neighbors, that can be a major challenge to all of us here. And that's why we need to bear the spirit fruit of love in our lives. So what is the spirit fruit of love? Let's get a definition going. You see this in your notes coming up on the screen. Love is the Christ-like response to all people in all things at all times. And there is nothing we need more in our lives than this, the spirit fruit of love. Uh, If truth be told, and if I may confess and be honest with you all, I need more love for my wife. I need more love for my two boys, Tyler and Jack. I need more love for the rest of my extended family. I need more love for even you as my church family, including those who are sometimes hard to love, in my family and in my church family. If I'm honest with you, I'd have to admit as well, I need more love for my neighbors who still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need more love for all the lost people who are far from God but still close to His heart. The fact of the matter is, I need more love. I need more God's love in my life to show it to the world. Everywhere I go and in every relationship I have in life, I need more Christ-like love. What about you? Are you loving the way Jesus loves? Or do you need to bear the spirit fruit of love in your life? If you go back to Galatians chapter 5 here, verses 22 and 23, it's not by accident that Paul places love first in the list of the spirit fruit in Galatians 5 here. Love is the primary fruit in the Christian life. Jesus declared the supremacy of love in Matthew 22 that when, when he said we are to love God, and then he said we're to love 
our neighbor. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.14, the verse preceding this whole discussion on the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, he says the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so for Christ followers, love is the first and it's the most important fruit we need to bear in our lives. In fact, all the other fruits, the rest of the, all the other eight fruits of the Spirit kind of flow out of this first fruit, the Spirit fruit of love. The problem is, when it comes to love, love means different things to different people. In our culture today, we use the word love for everything. We say, I love America. I love apple pie. I say I love my wife, and at the same time, I'll say I love pizza. In fact, my favorite pizza place is is a pizza shop. I just learned of a new pizza place in town called Funhouse. Somebody, that's their favorite pizza place. How many have eaten at Funhouse pizza? Oh, my word, look at all the people that have eaten Funhouse. And so at the same time, I can say I love my wife and I love pizza, but I certainly hope I feel differently about Darla than I do pizza. They're not on the same level here. And so there are a lot of ideas out in our culture. In fact, I would even say there are a lot of goofy ideas when it comes to love. And most of those ideas about love are based on feelings. But love, at least from God's perspective, is so much more than feelings. In fact, God says love is a matter of conduct. It's how I act toward other people. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions in truth. So love is a matter of conduct. And God also says that this conduct of actions is a choice. Colossians 3.14 says, And over all these virtues put on love. This means that I choose to act in love regardless of my feelings towards that person. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? That's why we need the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit to bear this fruit in our lives. Because it's a matter of conduct and it's a matter of choice. One of the first places people turn to for love in the Bible is a passage that Bill read for us here, 1 Corinthians 13. And rightfully so, as it is the definition of how love acts. This is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, mainly because it is read so often at weddings. Some people even call it the, quote, the love chapter. But that's just the problem. We tend to read, and perhaps these thoughts even went through your mind as Bill read them for us in our scripture reading here. We tend to read this chapter as a a kind of a feel-good Bible passage full of happy thoughts about love. But I want to challenge us to look at this chapter in a different way. Because I find this passage, to be quite honest with you, quite terrifying. And the reason it's so terrifying is not because of the words about love, but rather because it sets a standard for love that I can never meet on my own. It sets a standard for love that I could never meet apart from the Spirit working in my heart and in my life. So why now did Paul write this chapter on love to the church at Corinth? Well, if you have studied a little bit about the church at Corinth, 
You know, it was the one thing these Christ followers needed. It was more Christ-like love. That was the one thing this church lacked. This church was an awesome church. It was a great church. In fact, if this church was here today, we'd all want to go to it. We'd want to worship there. We'd want to attend there. But the biggest thing they lacked was Christ-like love. And so Paul comes to them in this first letter that he writes to them, 1 Corinthians. And here in this chapter, he writes to them about love. This church was known for its bickering, its quarreling, and jealousy. This church was sharply divided over theology, social class, liberty in Christ. It was divided over how to worship God, how to serve God. And it was divided over all the spiritual gifts that Paul talked about in Corinthians. You name it, this church fought about it. So when Paul wrote about love here in chapter 13, he was not trying to give people something nice to read at weddings, although this chapter is very appropriate to read at a wedding. But that was not Paul's purpose here in writing this. He's writing to a church full of Christ followers who were lacking this one thing in their life. Instead, Paul's trying here to show a church that, if we can describe them this way, they were full of self-centered Christians that we need more Christ-like love, not just on our wedding day, but every day for the rest of our lives. So the very first thing Paul tells this church here at Corinth and likewise tells us here now today about the spirit fruit of love is that without love, I am nothing. That's the first thing he tells them. Listen, without love in my life, and specifically the spirit fruit of love, I am nothing, he says. Again, one of the problems with 1 Corinthians 13 is that some of us have heard it so often that it's kind of lost its power to move us, to challenge us, to kind of grab our attention. And so what I want to do is I want to read these first three verses from the Message Translation by Eugene Peterson. Listen to how he puts it, or paraphrases it. He says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Now, the whole point of these three verses can be stated in one simple sentence. Without love, I'm nothing. That's what Paul's trying to communicate to these Christ followers at the church at Corinth. He's trying to communicate the very same truth to us today. Without love, I am nothing. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, it is all useless without love. Why? Because without love, nothing else matters in life. You may ask the question, well, how crucial is love? Just how essential is love? Well, Paul tells us, and this is in your notes coming up on the screen, that love is greater than every spiritual gift. And love is greater than every spiritual act. 
In verses 1 through 2, Paul went right to the heart, and he went right to the spiritual gifts these Christ followers at the church at Corinth used to kind of showcase their spirituality. And Paul says to them, if I speak with eloquence, even in a celestial tongue or a celestial language, without love, listen, he's saying basically it's just an irritating noise. In fact, it's interesting, a British professor ranked the worst noises that get on our nerves. Here's the top ten. Irritating noises, according to a British professor who did research on this. Number ten is an electric hum, such as feedback on a microphone. Aren't you glad we don't have feedback on our microphone? That's irritating, isn't it? Number nine, soap opera arguments. Irritating noise. Number eight, a baby crying. Number seven, flatulence. Yes, gas generated in the intestine. Number six, a screeching violin. Irritating noise. I know, because my child, well, he learned to play the viola this year in fifth grade. And let me tell you, when he would practice at home, Darla and I would be in the bedroom. We were like, oh, my word, what is that? (laughs) Number five, a seesaw squeaking. Number five, the scraping of train wheels. Number three, multiple babies crying. (laughs) Number two, microphone feedback. Kind of twice there. And then number one, the top ten, number one here of noises that get on our nerves, I'm not making this up, it's vomit. But here's what made Paul sick to his stomach. He's basically saying it is speaking, and even if you speak with eloquence, without love. That's what made him sick. Paul also says you can have the spiritual gifts of prophecy, knowledge and faith, and yet without love, you are nothing. In other words, even if I can amaze people with my spiritual insights, even if I have the kind of faith that moves mountains, Paul says, without love, I am nothing. This means even if I'm a dynamic CEO, even if I'm a great athlete, a gifted teacher, an amazing musician, a brilliant student, even if I'm a mom that makes Martha Stewart envious, or a dad who can fix anything, A teen who's the best online gamer, but there's little evidence that I genuinely care about the people in my life, the people around me. Paul says, listen, I'm nothing. I'm just a big fat zero in life without love. Why? Because love is greater than every spiritual gift, talent, and ability that we may have in life. And then Paul goes on, and he tells us in in verse 3 that love is greater than every spiritual act or personal sacrifice that we may perform. Listen, look what he writes again in verse 3. He says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now this verse, let's be honest here, this poses a problem for a lot of us. And here's the reason why. Because it asks us to consider or ponder spiritual activities that we consider quite noble in life. For example, Paul says, giving to the poor. That's commendable, is it not? Sure it is. Dying for your faith. Man, that's the ultimate sacrifice, which many people have done. But as good as these things are, Paul says, without love, 
They do you no good. Now, please understand that when Paul gives us this list of things here in these first three verses that are nothing without love, he's basically including all of the spiritual gifts that we may have and all of our spiritual acts that we may perform in life. So no matter what God has given us and no matter what we have done for God, it means nothing without love. At the same time, understand Paul is not denying the value of spiritual gifts. In fact, in chapter 12 and in chapter 14, that's what he talks about is the spiritual gifts. He's not downplaying the importance of spiritual acts or personal sacrifice. But Paul is saying that every spiritual gift must be used in a loving way. What matters most is not how gifted you are, but how loving you are. So rather than congratulating ourselves for all the things we do for God, God is calling us here in this chapter to kind of step back, pause for a moment, and evaluate our love toward all people in all things at all times. Because without love, nothing else matters. Nothing can compensate for the absence of love. As John Chrysostom said, and he put it like this when he preached this this same passage to his congregation during the 4th century, and I quote his words, he says, If I have no love, I am not just useless, but a positive nuisance. How true that is. So the very first thing we learn here in 1 Corinthians 13 on the quote love chapter is that without love, I am nothing. I am nothing. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. What we also learn in this chapter is that with love, number two, I am most like Jesus Christ in my life. With love, I am most like Jesus. One of our problems is we often, though, have an inflated opinion of ourselves. We think we're more loving than we really are, but in reality, we're a lot less loving than we think we are. So if we want to avoid making a nuisance of ourselves, we need to learn how to love like Jesus loves. And Paul helps us to do that here in 1 Corinthians 13 by giving us a a picture, if you will, of love in action. Again, look what it says in verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now what makes these verses so compelling is that they are really a portrait of Jesus Christ and His love. The literary technique Paul uses here is called personification. And basically all that means is that Paul takes the idea of love and describes what love does as if love were a person. And of course, well, love is a person, is it not? Because Jesus Christ is the very incarnation of of the love of God. Therefore, everything these verses say about love is characteristic of Jesus Christ. And that's why I am most like Christ 
when I bear the spirit fruit of love. So what we have here in verses 4 through 7 are 15 short little phrases that describe Christ-like love in action. So what we're going to do is take a few minutes here to unpack these phrases, not to make them more impossible in our lives, but hopefully more accessible. And as we do, remember that these words were not meant to be hung on a wall in our homes, although if you have 1 Corinthians 13 hanging in, in your home, it's perfectly fine. My wife and I did at one point in time for many years. But rather, these verses were meant to be lived out in our everyday lives with people. So let's look at Christ-like love's choice. How love chooses. And number one, it chooses to be patient. Christ-like love is patient. Now, right out of the gates, we all have to admit we're in trouble here. As we learned last Sunday, patience is the Christ-like response to those who irritate, aggravate, or provoke you. In other words, love suffers long, as some of your Bible versions say. Love is slow to give in to anger and resentment, even when you've been done wrong. Love can wait things out that takes time, like someone's immaturity or someone's habits that may never change. Love does not rush things. It waits for the right time to say what should be said. Love releases a person to God and then steps back and waits patiently for what God is shaping the person to be and to become. Love is patient. Number two, Christ-like love is kind. It is kind. Kindness is simply patience in action. In fact, it's interesting. Patience and kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit that we will look at more in detail later on. This word kind means something like sweet usefulness. Kindness is the Christ-like response to those who are unkind. Kindness is tender and forgiving when wrong. Kindness is also quick to help others. It's eager to reach out to those in need. In fact, Mark Twain called kindness a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. Number three, Christ-like love does not envy. It does not envy. You say, well, what is envy exactly? Well, envy is when people with empty hands want to empty the hands of those who have what they want. Envy is the sin of those who think others have too much, and they themselves have too little. But love does not compare itself to others. Love does not resent what others have. Love does not covet other other people's gifts. It does not begrudge another person's place in life. Love does not jealously long for the betterment of oneself at the expense of another person. Rather, love delights in the success of another person. Love actually gives thanks for God's blessings in another person's life. So Christ-like love does not envy. Number four, Christ-like love chooses not to boast. It does not boast. It does not brag. It's not conceited. Love is not eager to gain the applause of others. Love constrains the temptation of self-advertisement. In fact, the interesting, the Greek word here for boast means something like windbag. Gives you a great word picture. It's the idea of a person who must continually talk about themselves in order to impress others. How many 
of you heard about the turtle who wanted to spend the winter in Florida? Did you guys hear about the turtle? You didn't, you didn't hear about it on the news just here recently? I'm kidding about that. The turtle who wanted to spend the winter in Florida, but he knew he could never walk all the way to Florida from Missouri. And so he convinced a couple of geese to kind of help him out. With each geese taking a piece of rope, and he clamping his jaw-like, vice-like jaws onto the rope in the center. And these geese started to fly. And they were flying him to Florida. Let me tell you, it was going great. The flight was going awesome. Until someone on the ground looked up in amazement and asked, man, who in the world thought of that? That is so cool. Well, unable to resist the chance to take credit, the turtle opened his mouth to shout, I did. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we're just better off to keep our mouths shut. You got it. Why? Because Christ-like love does not boast. Number five, Christ-like love is not proud. Christ-like love is not proud. Some versions say love is not puffed up. That means love does not have an inflated opinion of oneself. Love does not exaggerate or overstate one's place or one's importance. Instead, love humbles oneself and sees self in its proper size. So those first five we could kind of categorize as love's choice, what love chooses in life. The next categories are love's refusal. This is how love refuses to act toward other people. And which is the first one here, number six, Christ-like love does not dishonor others. Some Bible versions say love is not rude. Other versions may say love does not behave in a disgraceful manner which this basically covers a lot of territory. And so on one level here, it simply means that love is it's not ill-mannered. It, it does nothing that it will be ashamed of later. Instead, love aims for decency. It acts with grace and integrity. You could almost say it this way. Love is polite. It's considerate. Love makes others feel at ease as a practical application Let me just say this. Remember, you don't have to say everything you're thinking about that person. I mean, how many times do we make a comment and then try to cover ourselves by by simply saying, oh, I'm just kidding, but it's too late, too little. And if you're wondering if that kind of is your problem a little bit, the greatest evidence is sarcasm. If you're a sarcastic person and sarcasm is constantly coming out of your mouth, This is one area you probably ought to work on, evaluate in your life. Number seven, Christ-like love is not self-seeking. It is not self-seeking. In other words, love is not selfish. It does not demand its own way or its own rights. Love isn't always me first. Instead, love serves others, and it doesn't worry about who gets the credit. One author put it this way, The secret of every discord in a home, community, or church is that we seek our own way and our own glory, and that is so true. And another author wrote, Cure selfishness and you plant a garden of Eden. How true that is. Number eight, Christ-like love is not easily angered. It's not easily angered. Love is not easily provoked or irritated. It's not quick-tempered. Love doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't blow its top. 
Some people try to excuse their bad temper by simply saying, sure, I may lose my temper here and there, maybe even a lot, but after all, once I lose my temper, it's done and it's over with. But so is a bomb. Look at the devastation and hurt that a bomb leaves behind. So let me encourage you to mark this down. When you're angry, you're not loving. Because Christ-like love is not easily angered. Number nine, Christ-like love keeps no records of wrongs suffered. This means love doesn't keep score of all the wrongs you've suffered in life. Love doesn't keep the books on other people's sins and failures. Instead, love erases the score and then it throws the chalk away. You can say it like this, love has a bad memory of wrongs done to it. Why? Because love is quick to hit the delete key. Love is always ready to forgive. Reminds me of the guy who said every time my wife and I have a conflict, she gets historical. His friend said, you mean hysterical, don't you? No, he said, I mean historical. She brings up everything I've ever done wrong in the history of our marriage. Not a good thing, whether it's in marriage with co-workers, your neighbor, or with one another in your small group. Why? Because Christ, like love, keeps no records of wrongs suffered. Which brings us to uh, love's outlook. Christ, like love's outlook. Number 10, Christ, like love, does not delight in evil. That is, love takes no pleasure in wrongdoing. It is not glad about injustice. It's not happy when evil triumphs. This also means love is never glad to hear bad news about another person. Love does not take secret delight in someone's faults and failures. It, it does not gloat over someone's misfortunes and mistakes. Love, just, love turns away from gossip and rumors. Love never says, well, man, they finally got what they deserved. Love never relishes the opportunity to say, I told you so. Instead, number 11, Christ-like love rejoices in the truth. This is the flip side of the previous phrase. Love takes joy in what is true, what is good, what is right and pure. Love cheers whenever the truth wins out. Is glad to know that suspicions were unfounded. Love looks for mercy and justice. It celebrates every forgiveness offered and every victory gained. And Paul now moves to a, a climax of Christ-like love with love's endurance. And he uses four short little phrases. And the first one is, Christ-like love always protects. This word protect here is, is the idea to cover. It's like a covering. And it's the idea that you are covering or you're protecting another person and especially their reputation. When you're filled with the spirit fruit of love, you don't drag the faults of that person into the light for everyone else to see it. Instead, love protects, love covers by bearing all things in godly silence. Number 13, Christ-like love always trusts. That is, love always believes the best and not the worst about people. If there's a problem, love doesn't jump to conclusions. Love doesn't immediately put blame on that person. Instead, love always trusts by believing all things. Number 14, Christ-like love always hopes. 
This basically means that love's not pessimistic. Love is optimistic. Now, let me make one note here. It's not so much that we're optimistic in that person or in us ourselves. Rather, we're op love is optimistic in God, in what He can do. Love hopes in the future, and it hopes to the end in what God is able to do in that person's life. Number 15, and this is the last one of these short little phrases, actions of love. Christ-like love always perseveres. It endures, even when all hope seems lost. Love never gives up on anyone. It won't stop loving even in the face of rejection. Love does not quit and walk away. It always perseveres by enduring all things. So, here's what we've learned about the spirit fruit of love in 1 Corinthians 13. We kind of did a flyover of this chapter, if you will, with a bird's eye view. And two big points come out of it. Paul is emphasizing two truths to us here. That without love, we are what? Nothing. But with love, we are most like who? Christ. I don't know about you. The choice seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Gee, I can either be nothing in life or I can be like Christ in life. I think I want to be like Christ instead of nothing. I hope that's what your choice is as well. Sam Levison writes in Reader's Digest, he says, love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for years that it becomes a miracle. But if you think about it, it's really not a miracle. It's really the result of bearing the spirit fruit of love toward all people in all things at all times. So I hope you're beginning to see that the spirit fruit of love is the difference maker in our relationships here on this earth. And here's the reason why. Paul tells us, because love never fails. It's supreme. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Right after all these descriptions of love, these short phrases of love and action, Paul summarizes and says, love never fails. And then you drop down to verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the, excuse me, the greatest of these is love. And yet, how many of us are thinking about now, love never fails? Yeah, right, Bruce. Love never fails? Are you sure about that? Tell that to my spouse, that love never fails. Tell that to my kids, that love never fails. Man, love fails plenty in my home, in the experience that I have. Love has failed plenty of times in my own life. So how can Paul write and say love never fails? Because basically all I've experienced and all I know is love fails. Now we would maybe never express that, but I'm sure there's a few of us that are thinking that. And here's the thing, that's true. Our own love fails often. 
In fact, our own love fails miserably. But this verse is true for Jesus Christ. His love never fails. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And that's why we need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to produce the fail-proof love of Jesus in our lives. We can't produce this kind of love on our own. This kind of love is the result of the Spirit working in our lives as we walk by the Spirit on a daily basis. We have a part to play in this. 1 Corinthians 13, it's interesting, closes with a simple command that should motivate everything we've learned about Christ-like love. Now, this command comes at the beginning of chapter 14. I don't know if you saw that in your Bibles, but it really serves as the practical conclusion to the love chapter here in 13. And it's a command that every Christ follower should take to heart. And the command is simply this. Two words. Pursue love. That's how Paul concludes this. Pursue love. This means run for love. It's even the idea of chase love. It describes someone who is going hard after love. So when you find it hard to love other people, and by the way, most of the time, that's the people closest to us. Have you found that to be true? Your spouse, your kids, your brother, your sister, maybe a neighbor, co-worker, extended family member. Those tend to be the people that it's hardest to love. And so when you find it hard to love other people, let me encourage you to pursue the spirit fruit of love. Because this kind of love that the Spirit produces in our lives is a kind of love that never fails. Oh, we may fail at demonstrating it, but the love itself, when it is demonstrated, never fails. It is the first and most important fruit to bear in our lives. It's the greatest, it's the supreme Love never fails. Let's pray. As we come to our response time, and the praise team comes, and they're going to sing a chorus, and this is simply a time in our service to, to respond to what we've heard, to respond to God's Word, right where we're seated, seated in the pew there, and to go to God in prayer. So let me ask you, how are you doing when it comes to the spirit fruit of love? Is Christ-like love evident in your life? Especially toward the people closest to you. And remember, Christ-like love never fails. So pursue it daily by walking with the Spirit. Before the praise team sings, let me give you just an application here that lasers in on how to focus and how to apply this message. Who's the one person I need more love for? in your life. Right now, who's the one person I need more love for? I'm going to ask you, go to God in prayer and ask Him to help you to respond with Christ-like love towards this person. 
Yield to the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to produce this Christ-like love in your life so that you can now show it to this one person that's the hardest to love. As the praise team sings.